Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I am Alec Russell, the founding host of the podcast. I've been making films since high school and have over 10 years of experience working on sets, starting as a production assistant, and I worked my way up to producing and now directing. I have served on seven feature films and countless shorts uh, as a crew member and commercials and corporate videos as well. And then last year, I produced a horror feature right before the pandemic, and I'm now just finishing up post on my first feature film as a writer-director, the alternate. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer, and casting director with two features under my belt and one shooting the summer. I am a former film critic and current distribution consultant who used to manage the creative distribution initiative at Sundance. And this week we have director Kevin Lewis on the show to talk about his latest film, Willie's Wonderland, starring the legendary Nicolas Cage, which was, I mean, a really fantastic conversation about one hell of a crazy, insane movie. I mean, you love this conversation, right, Liz? Well, I just, uh, yes, I think it was a slow burn of a conversation because I think at first maybe Kevin was like a little shy, but by the end of it, I really felt like we connected with him and I saw the love he has for film. And um, I actually just like, when I think of him, I think, oh, Kevin, oh, Kevin, I want him to do well. I like him a lot. Well, I mean, talk about passion and talk about dedication. I mean, he's that was his seventh film is Willie's Wonderland. And he hadn't had a film come out since like 2009 or something like that yeah. or 2007. So he took like, it was like 10 years of development in other features and trying to get features made and fail and things falling apart and then trying to get a feature made and then things falling apart. And then Willie's Wonderland apparently took years to get off the ground itself. Like I think he started on it in like 2017 or something. So, um, so yeah, it's really just goes to show you, it's like, even if you've done six features, you still need to like hustle and work hard to get your next movie made. So to all you out there who uh, want to make films, get ready. It's a long haul. Um, <laughs> so we're going forward with our new order of things. We're going to jump right into our conversation with Kevin. Uh, but don't go away because after the interview, we've got another Get Shorty featuring friend of the show, Nicole de Mensis. Uh, she's got a new web series called Dating in the Zombie Apocalypse. And we're going to talk about the first episode of the web series. And we've also got uh, a new uh, installment of You've Got Mail. Uh, so yeah. Don't go away, but let's get to it. Here's Kevin Lewis talking about uh, crazy old Nick Cage fighting animatronic demon Chuck E. Cheese-like creatures. Welcome, Kevin Lewis, to Making Movies is Hard. Um, you know, we're going to start with our rapid fire questions. It's going to go off right in the first one. How many days did you shoot Willy's Wonderland? 20. Oh, wow. I, I'm anticipating a certain answer from you here, but um, what was the rough budget, if you could talk about it? About five, oh. five million. I was expecting you to say that you weren't allowed to share any information with us whatsoever, <laughs> well, so thank you. Well, the thing is that that's at the beginning, but then, as you know, things take off, you know what I mean? So it was five, but I think it's gone up a little bit. <laughs> but it looks good, I think, for that, Oh, you know? I mean, for 20 yeah. days. You know, we uh, were running and gunning big time. And then how long did you spend working on the film from being brought onto it to it's coming out, you know, in the next like couple weeks? So Jeremy Davis uh, brought 
the script to me and Geo Parsons wrote a great script. It was about two years, two and a half years, almost three. Uh, how big was your crew? We had a decent sized crew. It was probably, I'd say about 100, about 75, 100 people, you know, when you talk about transpo and everything. But uh, we had a good crew. Georgia was great. That's where we shot it. And then compared to all your other projects you've made, how difficult was this one to make? Well, making movies is hard, right? So (laughs) it's very difficult. But, uh, you know, we had a good support team. The producers were great. Jeremy Davis got the script and we got the script into shape. And um, he brought on a couple of producers that helped, you know, put it all together. So can we talk about that a little bit more, like unpack that just, you know, a little bit more context. Ulrich Mm -hmm. and I are usually writer directors, like originating the project, Mm -hmm. right? So I don't have a lot of experience in a script being brought to me. That's like a whole nother level. So was, did Jeremy go to your representation or just were you pals or how did the script actually get into your hands? We were pals and uh, he took the script to me. And wanted to know if I was interested. And I read it. And I thought Gio did a great job. It was such a unique story. And uh, it reminded me of like the movies of the 80s. That was the time I grew up in. And um, that's why it has a very 80s vibe to it. I did that on purpose. Movies like Evil Dead, stuff like that. I just love those movies. Jeremy was a great partner on this. Talk to us a little bit about like like how that works. So like you got the script. Like, did you yeah. always think it was going to be Nick Cage or like, how do you like land on that on him for the lead role? He was the only one in my mind, <laughs> that, that, you know, and Jeremy felt the same way. So um, we took it to him and he immediately liked the script. And um, he, I was going to say like, okay, you say things like took it to him. Like, how do you take it to him? Like, <laughs> th- how does that work? Like, do you just have an agent who sends it to him? Like, do you just, yeah. You know, well, how does we, that happen? Well, we have to get, you know, on, on making movies, you know, you have to get the script into shape and you have to make a financial offer, you know, so we had to do all that. So we had to raise, you know, the money, you know, try to find the money for it. So, you know, when we take it to him, we make a financial offer and he, he immediately liked it. And uh, he was on board this whole, the whole, you know, very loyal, you know, we had start startups and then it didn't happen. Then it started up again. And so if it, Nick remained loyal on the movie, always wanted to do it. Uh, let's get more details of that. So like you said, you raised the money. Like, did you raise the full budget um, before you made the offer to Nick or just a partial budget? Like how, how Par- did that happen? Partial. Yeah. We raised money to get him to look at it, you know, as an offer. What did he say he was attracted to in the project? Like, was it the character? Was it the animatronics? Is it the genre? Like, what did you notice him responding to in the pitch? He never did the movie like this before. He loved the animatronics thing. And uh, I remember him saying, we don't get scripts like this much anymore. So I think he was harking back to the 80s and 90s, you know, uh, of, of projects. And then I just want to drill in to what you said, like partial budget. Can you like talk about like what that was? Was that 50%? Was that like a quarter? Like how much do you have to actually have in hand? Do you say like, oh, I've raised a million dollars towards a $5 million budget. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Nick Cage, like here's a script. Are you in? Are you out? You know? Well, there's different ways of putting movies together, but like you have to have foreign sales, you know, you get the domestic distributor, you know, uh, you get some pr- private equity. So 
Jeremy kind of helped put all that together with the other producers. Um, well, I want to talk a little bit about you as a director <laughs> and you negotiating your credit and your fee as being a part of this whole package. So, okay. um, because again, it's that director for hire situation, right? So, sure. you know, the script is brought to you where you like, all right, I'll do like, did you need convincing? Like what, it, what happened for you in your negotiations? No, I, I, I love the script and I worked really hard on just whatever resources I had to help get it made with Jeremy. You know, it was a very passionate project. You know, it really was. Yeah. And then they just work your fee into the budget basically once yeah. you've, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I just watched the trailer, as I had said earlier, and it was amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, Great. But what I noticed about it was that there was no Nick Cage one-liners in the trailer. Um, mm -hmm. Are there Nick Cage one-liners in this movie or did you not do that for this? You you got to just see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was part of like what fueled my question about, you know, why Nick Cage in the first place? Because if it's a movie where the character doesn't talk very much and it's not really about lines and that's like the thing that Nick Cage is known most for is his like crazy lines that, that he his crazy deliveries. I mean, not to say that he isn't really great at everything else too, but I mean, yeah. I, I guess that was what the question was, was like, like, why why was the decision made to to keep his character talking less but i guess maybe that's not necessarily the case maybe he talks a lot in part of the movie i don't know <laughs> anyway and it kind of has a vibe of uh, a man with no name mm. you know western you know i have like one expected nick cage question and then i think we may move on and then come back to nick cage again okay. <laughs> later on okay this is my only humble brag story i'm going to share is that i once got to talk to john turtletop who's like a hero of mine mm -hmm. and he said that nick cage was so pleasant to work with so secure not troublesome and i think someone might hear about Nicolas Cage and his eccentricities off screen and think, oh, he's got to be a handful. So I'm just curious if you can verify John Turtletop's account. Oh, he's absolutely right. Nick is uh, an amazing man, amazing actor, performer, but an amazing man. I mean, he was there in the morning working hard, doing stunts, never late, always worked up into the end, gave everything he had. He, he, he's an incredible guy. He was a great partner to be on with this movie. Yay! <laughs> just to just to follow up on that, like, is he when he gets involved? Like, is he giving lots of notes on the script? Is he giving like lots of feedback to you on like certain ideas he may have about the scene, or is he more like you know just kind of going with like your direction? Like, what was that experience like? We never had one disagreement on how to make the movie, wow. and every night we would text each other or email each other and say, "What do you think of this?" And I'm thinking that that I think he did great. So, yeah, I mean, it went flawlessly. I mean, it's amazing. I'm going to take us away from Nick Cage for a second. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about animatronics. I mean, I didn't know if some of sure. the, I assume they're all animatronics. Maybe there's some puppet work in there that I, mm -hmm. I, I don't know because I'm just watching the trailer. Um, I'm working on a project with puppets, so I'm aware of some variables that come into building a production schedule. But 20 days, mm -hmm. massive name looks like one location how much did you have to pivot around the animatronics as you built your schedule well that was the, the whole key was we had to start the animatronics early because if we didn't we wouldn't we'd be in georgia and they wouldn't be done and we would be waiting around hmm. so we had to start animatronics like three months before shooting building the creatures and ken hall did it and uh 
he did an amazing job. And then in, just in terms of being on set with them, did you, I mean, were you limited in your setups or did you have to adjust camera to get the best angle? Um, I mean, are there things that are unanticipated that a, another filmmaker may not even be aware of in terms of working with animatronics? I, I created the Willie's Bible. <laughs> it was like 70 pages and it was a shot list. And so every frame I shot listed. I had the whole thing because this movie isn't a movie where it's like, okay, guys, what are we feeling today? No, it was a very particular way on how to make this movie. And so I knew I had to do do that, prepare, you know, and I stayed to the shot list. And talking to that shot list, did you get it storyboarded or do you do your own storyboards? Like how did that work? We got it storyboarded and uh, so the boards are great, but my DP and I, I go back and forth with him on the uh, shot list. And then we had our boards. And so when you get the boards back, are you and the DP looking over those together to approve them as a team? Or is it more like you've already talked to your DP about it and then you're just giving final approval on all the boards? Yeah, final approval. I mean, we we knew this movie inside and out. Mm. So we've had the same vision going in. We want to make a punk rock movie, make it a rave, two in the morning rave. That was the vibe. I wanted to do this. Wow. <laughs> yeah, what is the genre? Is the genre, I mean, you talked about the nostalgia and I mean, I'm mm-hmm. getting an ethos. Mm-hmm. Is the genre creature horror or what would you call this? I call it popcorn horror. It's a horror, but it's more like I said in the 80s, like Return of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. you know, fun, fun horror, you know, Evil Dead even, you know, um, I didn't want to go all intense on these animatronics that I think that, you know, I had to be very careful on how we shot it and how we lit it because you have to believe that these things are, you know, exist. And uh, if you light it wrong or shoot shoot it, you know, in a different way, you may give the illusion up. And I didn't want that. So that's why I shot listed everything. So it sounds like there's a good little bed of comedy going throughout the horror is what yeah. I'm hearing. Well, it's yeah. a very... I mean, it's kind of, I had the actors play it real, you know, it's really absurd. It's Nick Cage versus an animatronic weasel, you know, <laughs> Yes. every time we would set up a shot and be like, is this too much? And I'd be like, it's Nick Cage versus Ch- Chuck E. Cheese. No, it's not, <laughs> you know? So there's a lot of Dutch angles in the movie. Uh, there's a lot of uh, lens flares. I love lens flares. Nice. I want to make it otherworldly just look different you know going back to the animatronics like were they full animatronics like did they did you have like people operating them from another room and they're like move on their own or were there puppeteers underneath them like how did how did that work they were suits and then we had like uh pulleys in the in the in the uh arms that would move the eyes because if you look at chuck e cheese it's always the eyes the servos right and so you had to get that right so it would be stunt performers in these suits and moving with the eyes and hands and then ozzy was a puppet oh wow i'm I'm so excited to find out who ozzy's the weasel i assume no ozzy uh the ostrich Oh, Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry. Of course, of Um, course. So I'm I'm curious about gore then. If this is kind Mm. of like this 80s, 90s throwback, it probably Mm. doesn't have a massive amount of blood, but, you know, Mm. maybe I'm wrong. Um, Did you, were you, did you have concerns about rating or uh, having too much violence in the film or was it all, you you could just go balls to the wall with the violence? That's what I want. That's what we want. I think that's what everyone wants to see Nick do. (laughs) <laughs> right and mandy right yeah. um clara space and so no it was balls to the wall I came up with the idea of uh the black oil the black ooze mm. so instead of blood 
black oil when these creatures get taken down. That's awesome. That was my question. Yeah. Like, do these animatronic creatures bleed? And it sounds like they do, and it's black mm -hmm. oil, and that's yeah. awesome. Can't wait yeah. to see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I had a, I have a lot of questions, um, but. <laughs> I think the the thing I want to kind of get at is like, you've had like a pretty well-rounded career. Like I was just looking at your IMDb, you've been directing films for a long time, you know, yeah. and you kind of got a, a big run going in, in the two thousands and it seems like you yeah. haven't really stopped since then. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess the question is like you getting brought this movie is the reason why this movie got made partially because of your history of, of directing and the films that you've done. Like, like if you were a second into your second feature, like, would they have been able to sell this movie with you as the director? That's a good question. Uh, like I said, Jeremy brought me the movie, and he, he he's a friend of mine, and uh, he pushed hard for me to direct. He had my back on this on this film. So, really, hats off to Jeremy Davis. He felt that I was the right guy to do it, and I loved the script. I thought Gio did a great job, you know, uh, was a unique different movie and as you you know guys know making movies is hard and you you gotta love you gotta love it you gotta love the passion you gotta have the passion you gotta have the energy um or it's just not worth it you know and this movie was a unique film and i knew it if we did it right it could be something and then like a quick follow-up to that oh sorry liz um, okay follow-up <laughs> Like, uh, did you ever, were you aware or was there ever a time where your ability, not ability, but like you directing this movie was challenged by anybody involved? Like, was it ever a thing where you had to prove yourself or was it more like Jeremy just had your back and, you know, you were the, the guy from, you know, the start? I, I had to prove myself uh, with some of the foreign sales company so what I, we did was i cut a trailer and uh uh stall at afm and uh that trailer helped dude that's kind of crazy to me because like after what one two three four five six, six seven features like you yeah. still have to prove yourself to the foreign sales that seems insane to me yep oh it is jesus <laughs> christ mm -hmm. wow well, i want to go back to those like piggybacking of what alric is sure. saying you know you've you've made these seven features and from what I can tell, they look very different. Mm -hmm. You know, they kind of run the gamut in terms of genre and, and yep. uh, tone. Um, one of the things we like to talk about in the show is like how you get from project to project, because it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of like, um, it's kind of random, right? It's like a, the mm -hmm. luck of the draw. So would you account for having so many films under your belt? Uh, is it, is it representation? Is it networking? Or how did you get from film to film? Is it, if mm. you can answer that? What's funny is I've been on some other movies that uh, have not gotten, I mean, I was going to do a film in Korea and it didn't get the, you know, it was going to be greenlit and then it, it collapsed. So it's funny, you know, being part of the process, I feel sometimes I've been on more movies that haven't gotten made. <laughs> Than the ones that have but uh you gotta just put your best foot forward and you have to surround yourself with good team you gotta have a, a vision and you gotta you know work hard for that and you gotta show it to people and make them understand it and that's the tough thing especially with a movie like willie's wonderland it could go a lot of different ways i call it like a tightrope movie because it could be just terrible <laughs> um but um I, I i think that we uh i think we pulled it up pulled it off so and you shot before the pandemic, I'm guessing, right? Yes. We wrapped February 28th. Oh, I came home March 1st. God. I uh, know. 
Wow. Guys, I know. I know. Wow. Oh it was I, crazy. I, I, uh, I know that feeling. I, I wrapped a movie on March 7th um, in Tahoe and we were hearing about like, you know, South by Southwest getting canceled and everything. And like, this suddenly feeling very real. And then we got back and then I like basically didn't leave my house when I got back from that movie. It's, like, it's crazy. It. And doing post during the pandemic was really hard. I was cutting up in LA and then LA shut down had to leave, you know, and it's just, it was, it was difficult, but we got it. We made it, made it through. I, I want to press you on, on your answer a little bit about yeah. your career, because um, yeah. I think also sustainable, sustainability of this industry is always in question mm -hmm. and a lot of us have to figure out how else can we make money because we're either not getting a substantial fee as directors or producers yeah. or or a day rate or whatever it is or we're not getting or films are not profitable so we're not getting like any you know back end or whatever yeah. um have you how have you been able to to outlast in the industry you know how what has been funding your career oh I uh, have four kids and uh, uh, my wife's a nurse. And so we have a, a little business like a med spa and uh, yeah, she's very good at what she does. So that's how we do it. And uh, it's tough, you know, when you, you know, banking food on the table in the arts, it's very hard. We've all been through it. You know, I remember I used to do the lunches uh, in college and uh, I'd get the old reach around to the wallet and then I'd be, and then the producer would be like, "Oh, I got it, Kevin." But oh, okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, I, um, you know, we've all been there. You know, it's hard, but you know what? If you have passion, and you you can figure it out, you know. But I, the pandemic, it's just sad. I feel sad, you know, for the act some actors now. And you know, I talked to some of the actors off the movie, and they said there's not a lot of work right now. So yeah. hopefully, it's going to get better. So yeah. to follow up what Liz was saying about your career, like, you know, I see this, you know, from your, your last film before Willy's Wonderland, The Third Nail, to, yeah. um, you know, now it's like, you know, whatever, nine years or something, almost eight years yeah. in between. Yeah. So yeah. can you talk about like what you what was happening in that eight year gap? I uh, was part of a production company that was a 3D company. And that was when I was telling you about in Korea, we had a bunch of movies you're going to uh, line up i was going to direct the script i had maz mickelson attached mm. and wow. um yeah it was great but uh you know like i said things don't always you know uh follow through and uh I've, I've been on four or five projects that you know didn't get up and running and wow. uh yeah so then we had my wife and i had these two little boys uh, i've got two teenagers and then i got two little boys we're crazy wow and uh what's really cool is uh my kids, though, are so excited for Willie's Wonderland. Like my little boys are drawing Willie and all the keto, and it's it's pretty cool. Oh, that's uh, fun. Yeah, it took a it took a while, and I knew that if I'm gonna go out and do some a movie like Willie's, it's like I I'm gonna have to put put everything I have to it because you never know if, if it's gonna be your last movie. You just never know. Wow, so, it sounds pretty amazing. It's like you know, you can have this huge gap, but it doesn't sound like you ever stopped working on projects. Like you always had a project going on that whole time, it sounds like, and then yeah. it just doesn't work out always. And I think that's like mm -hmm. a really important lesson for filmmakers to see and, and, and hear about because like, 
you know, like it doesn't matter if you've directed seven features, like you could still yeah. just be in this development hell for God knows how long, you know, until yeah. your next one comes. Absolutely. There's just so many variables you don't, you, you can't control, you know, you can only control what you can control. So it's hard and, but you got to have passion and you got to keep pushing, you know, just always, you know, work hard. Well, I think an alternative, I mean, maybe not for all people, but an alternative is always to sell finance or crowdfund or this kind of, you know, mm -hmm. this kind of um, alternative pathway. Did you mm -hmm. ever consider anything like that? Or is it like you just, you're just studio all the way or your kind of establishment all the way or how do, how do you look at that option so i started out you know making my first movie the method and i made a movie called downward angel mm -hmm. and uh, blockbuster picked it up at that time you know that was a big deal blockbuster being this huge uh you know company i've seen how movies have changed the business you know and there's so many things out now like you say with crowdfunding and things like that I haven't done crowdfunding, but uh, I, I kind of just feel like since I've seen, you know, the, I've done the, my, my movies all different ways. You know, I shot like, the drop. It was uh, digital. And that was like no one was shooting digital at the time, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see, you know, the evolution of, of, of movie making and independent cinema. And there's so many opportunities now, which is great. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. You just got to have a good story to tell, you know, but crowdfunding, I haven't done any crowdfunding. Just because a lot of these bigger projects usually, I'm assuming, you tell me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. usually fall through due to financing, right? Yep. So yep. there's a way to have, um, you know, money amassed through independent means. I mean, obviously... Yep. Unless you're a millionaire and you're secretly running this med spa just for fun, I assume yeah. that's not an option. No, um, no. So then it would be kind of looking to um, outside to crowdfund. I guess I'm just curious if you ever got so frustrated that you were like, screw it. <laughs> like I'm doing yeah. this a completely different way. Sure, of course. Uh, where there's a will, there's a way, right? There's not one way to make a movie. You know, there's a lot of different ways. You just mm -hmm. got to figure out what's right for you. And, um, but it is, it takes a lot of money and a lot of people, you know, and, uh, people's you know, time and, uh, the, their belief in, in, in the project and things just happen. And, you know, it's like Willie's, you know, we had it and then it start and then it stopped and it started and it stopped, you know, and there was a time where I was like, I can't deal with this. I put my script away. <laughs> And everything and just said you know what i just gotta get it out of my head and then all of a sudden it came back wow. and that's kind of i feel you know in this industry that you have to be able to not want it as bad because then it owns you and you don't make right decisions when you're desperate and i assume that um, was jeremy's work in terms of putting that last yeah. deal together yeah jeremy yeah so i have a little small question um are you based sure. in los angeles or where are you based out of orange county so pretty close yeah. And then the other question is, after seven features, did you have a representation at that point? Or how did that work? Guys, I've been through so many managers and agents. <laughs> you know, my first movie, The Method, I signed with ICM, wow. you know, right out of uh, college. It's just, it's a, it's a merry-go-round. And representation's really changed now as well. You know, there's people you can get to now on Twitter, you know, and, you know, it's just, it's such a different 
world out there. You know, I've, I've gone to the agents and managers. Do you have one it, now or did you no. stop? If I, you know, if I, I got to make sure it's the right one. If I, if, uh, yeah. Wait, so you're like, you, you just basically at this point, you don't feel like it's necessary for your career. You're like, ah, I don't want them unless I really gel I, with these people. I think it's necessary, but it's got to be, yeah, we got to gel. It's funny, just from my perspective as a person who's never had an agent or manager and never really been mm-hmm. approached by an agent or manager, it almost, yeah. it's like any agent or manager is like, oh my God, let's do it, you know? But um, yeah. I think like... Yeah. That seems a lot smarter to be like, no, like don't don't just rush into any relationship because you know it really has to be like the right match, the right people. Exactly, exactly, because they're representing you, you know, and uh, you got to be on the same same page. I just like could go off in a whole new conversation just about representation, <laughs> just because I, th- some people have said, you know, friends and colleagues have said, you know, uh, you don't want to be, you don't want to do the chasing, you want to be chased, yes. and so like as emerging filmmakers. Uh, yes, we're so enthusiastic to be chosen that yeah. we um, we may make wrong decisions and people may be exploiting us rather than us working together um, because we may not be uh, in demand as emerging, right? Um, and then I've also heard that the majority of people's work is self-generated and actually not coming from representation. So yeah. I guess my, my curiosity with you is when you had representation, did they help with casting? Did they help? Did like, did, did you secure projects or do you think that they really did help you no. get the job? No, they just, they wait, <laughs> wait and see if what happens. Um, <laughs> but you know, what's kind of interesting is right now we're in the course of the pandemic, but you know, if we were at film festivals, that's where you go, right? Willie's would play, you know, maybe a midnight madness show, you know, and an agent could come and go loved it. You know, I don't know where that goes now. You know, hmm. I think we're in a wild, wild west, you know, of independent film. There's a lot changing. 100%. Yeah. So I have more fun question about Willie's, if that's okay, Liz, unless you want to <laughs> sure. keep on going. Yeah, a different... no, let's go back to Willie. <laughs> You're talking about how, like, you really wanted to go for it with the gore in this film. And you really wanted to deliver yeah. on that because this is the kind of movie that you're making. Due to scheduling or timing, did you ever run into a situation where you had to cut any action or cut any gore from the movie? Or did it all kind of make it in? And then if that was happening, how did you handle that? No, it all made it in. <laughs> I shot very specific. I shot to cut this movie. There wasn't a lot of wiggle room. I only could do two two takes, possibly maybe three. So wow. it had to be very precise. And then for the gore, was a lot of the gore like one take stuff? Like when you're like you know having yeah. Nick bash the crap out of you know yeah. these animatronics? Is it like okay, like this the lighting's yeah. got to be perfect because we only got one of these guys to, to demolish? Right. You know, we only had one each. Yep. So we had to know what we're doing. And was there any time when you're doing that stuff that like, you know, maybe you missed it or you had to like fake it to, to do another take? Or was it like all the first takes like made it in when you're like bashing and squirting black oil and all that stuff? We, we got because we had two cameras with a black oil. We call it the rage cage. It would be a we'd have the camera and we'd shoot it at like 18 frames per second and shake the lens and then have like lens flares going in. So our kind of style on how to Nick takes out these creatures. Did you ever have any problems with like uh, squibs or blood um, cannons not going off or oil cannons not going off in the right way? 
or did they all kind of just work as they were supposed to? Couple, but mostly worked fine. Okay. Yeah. Every time I've done any of that, I always, they never work. Like <laughs> yeah. we'll test them. They'll work perfectly in the test and then yep. we'll go to shoot. And the first time we roll camera, it never works. And so yeah. on my movie, my first feature, we had one big, bloody, gory moment and we, mm. we had to do it three times until it exploded right. Um, but uh, yeah. we got it on the third one. And so I was like, okay. We, we had the blood cannon, you know, um, it, it, it went well. Um, there were a couple things, you know, but we, we knew we had had to get it. Um, or we're, you know, we only have one or two takes. So we had to be very precise. I have a last Nicolas Cage question. Okay. <laughs> um, now that the film is about to be in the world and it sounds like you had like a very nice, relationship in pre-production and production yeah does that just go away or does he do you still talk or is it like he's with the film and now he's on to the next i think that, that that's what it is he's on to the next you know i'll never forget it was the last night him shooting and he worked so hard and it was the big fight with willie you know we were at, we wrapped late night and um he said uh he was leaving and he said uh good luck with your movie your movie you know and i just <laughs> thought that was so amazing because he knows that as an actor he did his performance and he's a producer on the movie but it's not his movie you know it's good luck with your movie you know and i just thought that was that's nick he's such a team player i love that it's sad though there's something kind of bittersweet of that you're like okay goodbye (laughs) see you later yeah Yeah, i remember him he just was going off into the night it was like ghostwriter you know (laughs) but but he gave everything to this movie. He really did. Mm. He never, never waned once. He worked so hard. Liz, do you have any final questions? That was my final. I just want to hear that about Nick Cage. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, that's a perfect note to end on. So we should get to our Great. final five questions. What's the first film you ever made? And how do you feel about it now? First movie was The Method. And uh, it's angst. It's college angst. I was real young. It's got it's big problems but um you know it's it'll always be you know in my heart because it's my first movie and uh, sean patrick flannery you know he helped get that movie done as well he was a great team player you know shot it on film went to uh, slam dance with it hey. yeah i yeah, know that was cool <laughs> that was the time the day trippers came out oh yeah uh, steve soderberg was upset at sundance because it didn't take day trippers and so slam dance came and they showed it so wow (laughs) what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received i think the idea of stay true to yourself you know um and i interned for john mctiernan uh when i was in college yeah and uh he would say things like that that you know uh it's funny because i i i interned for him on last action hero and then i interned for Rennie harlan on Cutthroat Island. Wow. So stay true to yourself. <clears throat> you know. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? I want to tell great stories, entertain people. Val- valid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Especially now with what's going on in this day and age with COVID and politics and everything. That's why I, lo- I think Willie, you know, I-, I think Willie's is something that we need now. It's just leave your brain at the door and just let's have fun. And <laughs> I, w- I was thinking about it too with COVID that we're all in our homes, 
you know, and we're you know, scared of the, the virus and we're locked down and all this stuff. And here's this movie where you have Nick Cage coming in and he's getting terrorized by the, the, the creatures and he doesn't care and he's going to town on them. And I thought maybe deep psyche, that's something to say, you know, with COVID, what's going on? That's what we'd like to do to this bug, right? So we should be so lucky that Nick Cage would come and save all of our asses. Yeah. Like, that would be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, great. If you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? Gosh, it's a good question. Um, stay, you know, for the long haul, you know, because uh, sometimes you, you you don't know, you think things are going to happen and they they, they, they don't happen exactly what you think what you want at that time but you have to persevere and stay strong last question is making movies hard yes <laughs> very but you know if it wasn't everybody would do it right so you know there's a lot that goes into it but yes it, it's it's hard I have one more extra last question that I want to throw in sure. here just to shake things up. You know, you've had this long career, you've made all these movies, you're still going, you've got many more movies to make, but what advice would you give to like a younger filmmaker who's maybe made one or two features or even just working on their first feature and mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're trying to figure out how to get the next project? Like, what would you say to that? Person? I just want to clarify our next question. He's asking, yeah. what would you give, what advice would you give him? What, what would you tell Ulrich? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Um, you gotta, you gotta just stay, stay truthful to who you are. You know, you know who you are, and you gotta do projects that mean, you know, you know, that mean a lot to you. And uh, the idea is that you know, you just, you got to stay strong. There's a lot of, you know, I, I thought that in film school they should do a class on, I say depression, but the idea of pass, right? what's called a class it's called pass because that's what you hear pass i'm passing you know and you have to stay strong and saying no is very easy the yes is hard right so you just have to know where where you're at and keep the good fight it's a fight it is anything in life that that's worth something is a fight wow that's amazing thank you thank you for that advice to Ulrich. yes thanks kevin absolutely <laughs> yeah my my secret uh what what should i do next a uh, question that it is shrouded <laughs> in uh you know in another question um so if people want to uh you know find out more about you uh where should they go should they just go find willie's wonderland and watch the film or do you have a website where should people go i have a, I have a twitter kevin lewis twitter and um Instagram, Kevin Lewis on Instagram, movie maker. And then we should probably clarify when is Willy Wonder, when did Willy's Wonderland coming out and how can people see it? February 12th, digital on demand. Is it doing any kind of drive-ins or anything or is it just demand They're talking for now? about it. We'll see. They're talking it about it. It feels like the perfect drive-in yeah. movie. Like what are they thinking? Oh my oh. God. <laughs> it's like, this is what it was made for. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm sure it'll get one. I'm sure it will. Well, Kevin, this, this yeah. has been a fantastic conversation. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for your time. Thank you, guys. I can't wait for you to see the movie. I, you know, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts. You know, wow. I made this movie for fans like us of Nick Cage, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, I'm a pop culture collector. I collect Star Wars and comic books oh, and, nice. you know, and I did this movie for us, the fans. I can't wait for everybody to check it out. 
All right. Well, that was a fantastic conversation with Kevin. Um, what was your favorite thing that Kevin said? Do you even remember? This was like two weeks ago. I don't. I blocked out anything that's <laughs> older than yesterday. Uh, I think in general, we've been noticing a trend. Uh, filmmakers we've been interviewing talking about representation and that sometimes I don't want to dedicate representation because we're going to have the amazing Ross Putman on the show in a few weeks, who is like a fantastic agent. But I, I think uh, it's wonderful to hear that agents aren't the miracle workers that I thought they were, because in my mind, I thought that that was what we're all supposed to be seeking. And Kevin just confirmed what we've been hearing for weeks, which is um, sometimes Sometimes you don't need representation. Sometimes you can make opportunities happen yourself. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like, I, I don't know if it was three or four um, in a row that all yeah. said um, that management did not um, have a big role in their success. Um, you know, and then the, the Nelms Brothers story of management is like epic and legendary. It's so great. You know, um, it's amazing. But it's it, what it, it sounds like you just have to find the right people and that's like not like every it's not like any representation is good even if they're at a fancy agency it needs to be like the right person for the right filmmaker or the right artist um you know and and it, even then it sounds like a lot of the best um opportunities don't even come from them necessarily so it, it's and kind you of had been, this question like a year ago right didn't you me and like matt enlow talk about this was Oren there as well and you were asking yeah. you had someone approach you and you weren't sure whether you'd want to go forward right i remember and it's like that, that seems to be a frequent case as people are like, do I chase after representation? Do I take the people who are interested in me? And it's like, absolutely exactly what you were saying. Unless they're going to fight for you and really understand what kind of content you want to make and who you are as an artist, um, it'll, be, it'll be something that may even slow you down. Right. Like they need to be really excited about what you're doing and like want to help you uh, further develop like your, your uh, I don't know, your filmmaking style your filmmaking brand or going after projects that are going to like help you grow in, in the thing that you do well you know not just uh pitch you on every project or things that don't make sense for you or that you'll never win because you don't have um <laughs> enough experience to do that project um anyways lots of other great things uh, in that conversation uh, that i love that i don't remember right now but um <laughs> but yeah i hope you guys all enjoyed it uh, but yeah, I think uh, without further ado, again, Liz, do you have something for us this week? Oh, gee, I do. Uh, we have a new Get Shorty. Come on, John Travolta, tell us all about it. So you make movies, huh? I produce feature motion pictures. I got an idea for a movie. This week, we have the first episode of a new web series from filmmaker and friend of the show, Nicole Demonesis. Damn it, I don't even know. Nicole, tell us you're gonna, yeah. I think it's Demensis, probably. But the, that E is tripping me up. I'm like, and Mensis is like a very, like that's like a tough name to live with as a woman for, you know. Oh yeah. Like I'm kind of thinking to myself that she may emphasize that E. Um, anyway, if it's Demensis, she's a badass woman and I'm a little bit jealous that she gets to represent uh, a monthly cycle on a daily basis. But if it's not, I'm sorry, Nicole. Um, but we're here to talk about your wonderful series, Dating in the Zombie Apocalypse. Let's hear from Nicole, who will probably uh, rip us to pieces in the pronunciation of her name. Let's hear her. My name is Nicole Demonesis. I'm writer-director of Dating in the Zombie Apocalypse. Uh, I have one of the stars of the film with me today. Come here, Sylvie. Come here. You can check out Sylvie 
She's in our first episode of Digging the Zombie Apocalypse, uh, playing Philly. Uh, so why did I make the film? Uh, well, because I wanted to. Uh, I love zombies, and I love women, and I love small dogs, and I thought I would just combine all three of those wonderful elements and make something fun and silly, and uh, specifically and put it in a, in a genre uh, project. With most of my projects, um, funding projects specifically, uh, it's whatever is in my pocket at the time, and I just come off of a project, so I had a little extra spending money, and I thought, well, I'm going to put uh, 800 bucks into a two-day shoot and um, see what we come up with. This was shot a while ago. It was my, my second uh, short film, and uh, really had just come off working uh, for the first time on a feature film. I was the second AD for a local production uh, called um, uh, Freshman Year, and there were some really talented people uh, that I met on that, and then I... I convinced them to come work on this silly zombie project with me. Before making the short, I wasn't under any delusions of what would, what the short would do for my career. I just it was a story I'd been writing, and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to attempt to do it. And I had a couple really great actors that um, uh, were willing to go on the journey with me, and so it was really just I wanted to do it for the experience and um, just to add to, just to practice, tra practice storytelling, practice um, uh, collaborating, working with creative people. Well, now that the project's done, I've submitted to a few fe uh, local festivals um, to get some uh, community support and help get the word out there, and uh, it'll be streaming on Lesflix uh, February 15th. So it's really exciting uh, to have it out there and really for uh, catered towards the audience I made it for. Uh, you know, it's funny looking back on what would I do differently, uh, if anything. And, uh, you know, it was a little over-ambitious. Uh, this original script was a lot longer. There was more gags, some more, uh, definitely more characters. A little overly ambitious in a two-day shoot uh, with all the um, setups I wanted to do. But um, at the end of the day, simplifying it uh, in the editing room and, and paring down uh, what, what was really needed to tell the story about the characters. I'm still happy with what, uh, what came out of it. Um, but I will probably, just to, to have that fuller-fledged uh, story uh, get out there. Um, there's plans for uh, a digital comic uh, to uh, possibly be released if we would want to know more of the backstories of the characters. There was a lot of exposition with the characters and where they came from and um, uh, their backstory before the world was uh, taken over by zombies. And I always knew I wanted to do black and white uh, and specifically with the aspect ratio that I chose. Um, it's it's more uh, thinking back to that, the, you know, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead and how one like they, they shot on 35 millimeter and it was um, uh, because of the copywriting issues uh, um, they were able to take that that print and then show it at different drive-ins and then eventually it made its way to television where they downsized to a different format. Um, so having the format that I did it was specific like the idea that you're watching um, this older uh, genre film that has lesbian characters and that it exists in the world as, as like the secret thing. Uh, and uh, just taking up space in the genre. Um, so I just, uh, I'm playing with the style. I wanted people to at least have a point of reference uh, to the older films, that it, the idea that it was an older film and that, uh, you know, the filters and stuff used are, are um, uh, the visual representation of that. It's, it's kind of gritty and stuff like that. It's not pretty. And um, the idea that you could, un you stumbling across this old film that was forgotten, and, um, you know, was a, uh, a part of, you know, a time, a uh, uh, product of its time when uh, you wouldn't have expected to see something like that. Uh, thanks for letting me talk about my, my uh, silly project, and uh, 
you know, I just think the world needs more stories about lesbians, zombies, and little dogs. So I hope this checks all those boxes for people that want that content. Uh, so you can see all the other episodes on Les Flakes February 15th. And um, thanks again for Making Movies Hard podcast uh, for giving me the opportunity to talk about my project. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. What did you think about dating in the zombie apocalypse? So I'm a big fan of Twilight Zone. Um, you know, I just think it's just amazing show and and like up there with like Star Trek and like some of the best writing that exists in, you know, sci-fi and, um, you know, horror and all that stuff. Uh, so I love the opening. It's amazing. It's such a love letter to that. And it feels like um, in, in a lot of ways, like it is the start of a Twilight Zone episode or like a B movie from from the 50s or 60s. It's just wonderful. Um, I loved uh, like the characters. I thought they were very fun and, and different, you know, especially Rocket was really, like, really interesting. And just like, I love the way they introduce Rocket. They just have this character who's just, that's what she is. She's on, uh, you know, she's a skateboard or rollerblades or roller skates. I think roller skates um, with like, yeah, that that weapon. It's just, I think an axe. It's just great. Um, and then of course uh, the lead or the other lead in the, in the short um, is uh, Natalia Dominguez from uh, also in my feature film, The Alternate. So she's fantastic. She's always great. And um, yeah, there's this part in it where they're like, like uh the one character is like painting still art of zombies eating each other or something and it's like it was amazing or like a zo two zombie kids like chewing on a zombie mother you know and it's like wow like i've never seen that in a zombie movie after watching hundreds of zombie movies like i thought that was really fun and it felt like like a fresh different take on um the zombie apocalypse story um but yeah what did you think liz yeah, I definitely thought it was fun. I'm going to bring up some things that may be more neutral than positive, because again, I always think we're going to bring up whatever comes to the surface. But before I do, my favorite part of it was that it really nailed that vintage style. Like there were um, shots of that dog that were like off access where like the nose of the dog is cut off or like whatever it is, like it wasn't in the center of the frame. And you're like, yeah, that's when you shoot film, you have to use like whatever available budget you have. Like it really reminded me of like low budget, like horror from, you know, the fifties. And I thought that was in the forties and the fifties. That was very cool. Um, nailed the style. And there was like excess shots that again, like allied it with like old school filmmaking where like the, the editing wasn't as streamlined as it is now. Like, I just thought the style was nailed. I think what was tough for me is that Rocket was stylized, the film was stylized, um, the, sh the edit, the shooting, the everything was stylized. But the other lead, you're, the actress that you normally work mm -hmm. with, wasn't stylized. Like she played right. it straight. And I was like, that, that totally confused me. And I never got to see her face. Like I was always seeing Rocket's face and I never got to see the other lead's face. It was mm -hmm. always like profile or off angle. And I just wish I could get to know her a little bit more mm. um and then also I just thought as a web series it was missing a hook at the end right like I wanted something to bring me into the next episode I guess them going off on their own or going on a date wasn't enough for me to be like I got to check out the next episode so um I 
I definitely appreciated what I saw, but those are, those are my criticisms. Nicole, I'm not getting you a free pass mm. because you're a wonderful, generous Patreon and we've had email back and forths and I like you a lot. I'm still going to say things that I think are constructive. And those are those things. Interesting. So you noticed there was no, uh, like, straight on shot of Natalia throughout the whole piece. That's interesting. I mean, there was in the beginning, right? When she's, and by the way, I love anything that has female masturbation. So I was like, <laughs> woo, yes. Very in, in, big fan of that. Um, because it's not something you see depicted on screen very often. But yeah, so in the opening, you see her front on, but in most of the coverage with Rocket, I think we're favoring Rocket. And, mm -hmm. it, and I wanted to be with Natalia because I thought she was our protagonist. So I, I, I missed that. One thing I'll say um, that I think is a little bit of a missed opportunity is that the uh, masturbation is interrupted by the dog, but it would have been so much better if the masturbation was interrupted by a zombie yes. and that she was like <laughs> irreverent towards the zombie interrupting her masturbation, like, you know, banging at the window or something. Um, oh, I know that she, <laughs> she wanted to feature the dog and everything. I get that, but that's kind of what I was like my nerd mind was expecting when she was masturbating that she, like she would be interrupted like by the dog, like being, you know, chased by a zombie or somehow a zombie being a part of the interruption. Um, and then the, it was just the dog being hungry, which is like something that could happen in not the zombie apocalypse. So I don't know. I mean, small, small criticism uh, to speak to like your, your whole thing about the hook. Like I, I see, yeah, it didn't have like a really big cliffhangery sort of end to it, except like that they're going to go on a date. But I think I was so intrigued by Rocket and by, um, you know, like Natalia played it straight, but I mean, she's like drawing zombies that are like, they're <laughs> right really in front like of that. her. So it's like, that's kind of like weird and bizarre in itself. Um, and I somehow, I don't know why, but I, I kind of appreciate that they have a straight person and, um, you know- Against the quirk. And, against the quirk, yeah. And I think like, having both and like those two coming together is like something that I enjoy. Um, so like, I think if they were both quirky, like maybe I wouldn't, I don't know. I wonder if it would work as well for me if they were both kind of goofy over the top characters. Um, but again, I will say that like her action of trying those zombies makes her, it just, the way that she walks around in this zombie apocalypse, it's just like, she didn't have a care in the world. It seems it's like, you know, that makes her weird. Uh, among her you know just alone so I don't know I, you don't I like really that. see her like scared right like yeah no, she, like she's running out of the house and she's just like bypassing that zombie who's trying to get her right and she like just like, dodges it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's like not phased at all by the, the what's going on she's just living her life amongst the zombie apocalypse it's almost like a and, I, and I'm sure this is intentional but it seems like it's a metaphor for the pandemic you know it's mm -hmm. like we're, we're in this world where we're wearing masks and we're not seeing people in person and we're just going along with our lives, doing our jobs, like buying houses, whatever we do, you know, and like, you know, our lives are continuing, but we're not like really addressing it head on. Um, just like, uh, you know, Talia's character is not addressing, you know, the zombies head on. Um, so yeah, anyway, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing that I've ever seen, but I do really enjoy it. And I, and I mean, yeah, it's enough where I want to watch the next episode. Would I and pay for the next wanna... episode? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But I would watch it if it was on YouTube. I would need more of a hook in order to pay for that second episode. But like you're saying, you know, is it the greatest thing ever? No, but it's great enough that we want to celebrate it on this show, oh, right? Yeah, so totally. 
by virtue of like us wanting to talk about it, I think we want to make sure that other people check it out and, and, um, yeah. and great job, Nicole. Well, I'm, I'm interested if other people feel the way that you do, Liz, if other people feel like the hook's not strong enough or if like the overall visual style, the characters and, and what's been delivered as far as, um, you know, just the artistic representation of the show, if that's enough to get people um, into the second episode. But I, but I think that it is going to be on a paid service. I, I don't think it's going to be just for free the rest of the show, I think. Because I know she said she's releasing it through some sort of... Um, channel or something but maybe it's just going to be on the channel for free i'm not sure but she's anyways. always really good about that right like we know that she's really good at collaborating with different promotional partners and platforms it's like one of the big things that she's i'm sure she'll talk about it um you know or she had already talked about it but like she's really uh she feels like you're basically doing yourself a disservice as an artist if you're giving your your films away online like mm -hmm. she says oh well someone's gonna pay for it someone's gonna like help you monetize the short but i i argue that that's not always what's most important i feel like especially as a start as a burgeoning artist it's more important for people to see your work um than it is for you know you to get paid five cents per view or a cent per view <laughs> Or whatever you know um like i don't think it's really about making money um at the short level uh, necessarily uh but there's a, a i don't know it also brings prestige too i think like to have your stuff on paid platforms it's just not the way that i decide to go um yeah. but i don't know I, I think both work as well you know it definitely i think having it on a paid platform is much better than not having it available at all i have a lot of friends who don't have their work available at all it's like they, they get into fancy film festivals, they go fancy places and then they don't go anywhere else except like maybe a chill on PBS once or, you know, whatever you can watch get that it on. online, get it on Vimeo, get it on For real. YouTube. For real. That's how I feel. Anyways, I think it's time uh, because, you know, you've got mail Liz, or <gasps> I've got mail. <laughs> we We've got mail. We've got mail. Breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You got mail. So yeah, I just want to start this off by saying thanks to everyone who sent in Get Shorties this week. We got a lot of Get Shorty, you know, uh, suggestions. And some people who are even like, oh, my filmmaking friend is like so great, but they never submit. I tell them to submit to, to Making Movies Hard, but they never submit their stuff. So I'm going to submit the, their stuff for them. So I appreciate everyone. Uh, Star was the one who did that. Thank you, Charnstar. <laughs> <laughs> Much appreciated. But yeah, we got a whole new slew of YouTube comments this last week, um, mostly from our loyal listener and good friend of the show, Gary Kennedy, Gary! who will not stop commenting on YouTube, which I love. Um, on our Anna Biller episode, he said, the love witch is such a ridiculously beautiful film. What a wonderful Anna, comment. Anna Biller. Anna, God, <laughs> just kill me now. Sorry, Anna. Anna Biller. She's not listening. She um, told us she doesn't listen. <laughs> yeah. Fine. Right. Sorry, Anna. We also got a comment from that on that same episode from Daniel saying, I am here bec because for Anna Biller, which is like such a strong um, statement. Thank you for uh, being here for Anna. And hopefully you stick around. And speaking of Anna Biller, we have to th we have to say that it's this is amazing kismet that Anna Biller is the special guest of the Joe Bob Briggs uh, Valentine's Day special. So it's like two worlds collide. Two wonderful worlds are colliding on the drive-in. And I'm really excited to check that out. 
yeah, I, I'm going to have to watch that one because, yeah, it's like we had Joe Bob Briggs on the show, which was like, you know, a totally amazing moment for us. And then uh, a guest of our show also gets to go on Joe Bob's show. It's like, wow, pretty amazing. Yeah. Going back to our YouTube comments, um, you know, on our newest uh, episode with the Nelm Brothers, Gary says, good old Gary Kennedy again, another great episode. Fat Man was such a crazy flick, and I can't imagine that anyone would have brought the proper tone to screen than those two. Kyle Short, Kyle freaking Kenyon, by the way, Kyle Short was pretty great too. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> and now all I can think of is a short film about a counterfeit exorcist. I don't know where that came from. Do we talk about a counterfeit exorcist at all in... Either I'm wondering if things. it's a dad pals is dad pals is there a reference to a counterfeit exorcist there, there, there must be um he also says the new order of segments has a good feel to it keep up the great work oh gary well let us know what you meant by counterfeit exorcist because we we want to know we want to know gary i mean there's so much dialogue in that dad pals episode that goes so fast you know it's so snippy there, there's probably some line about a counterfeit exorcist in that most likely I also wanted to say we're coming up on our 300th episode. Um, and I thought it would be fun if Liz and I finally answered those final five questions that we ask everybody every week. Um, are you guys into that? Liz, are you into that? Are you, you will you answer those questions? I'll do it. Yeah. I have to like look at them because <laughs> I never read them unless we're on the show and I will prepare. It's kind of like the James Lipton thing where like, I assume everyone prepares what those answers are before talking. Not that we're James Lipton, but I want to treat us with the gravitas of that right. experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm down. The point is I'm down. Do you have any other ideas for our 300th episode? Anything else you want to do when we hit 300? Mm -hmm. Um, I think we should, should we reveal who our 300th guest, 300th guest is? Yes, or is that let's a surprise? do it. Um, I think Liz, what do you think? Do you want to reveal it on the next week's episode? Since let's we're do like next two week's, that's like a nice okay. little, a sneak peek. Um, I think we should have a party. I think we should have fireworks. I think we should socially distanced celebrate. The okay. Episode. That's a very big deal, and I'm um, I'm glad to be a part of it. Yeah, you've done like what, like a hundred of them, a hundred and twenty of them, something like I that. I think so, but I don't know if you feel this way, Eric, but I actually feel like we're starting to take off a little bit now. Like oh, yeah? I'm noticing more engagement on Instagram. I'm feeling we're getting more emails into our inbox. Like I just feel like there's this new momentum to the show, and um, I don't know. I think there's going to be 400 episodes, 500 episodes. Like this is um not not the end this is this is just the beginning <laughs> as long as you stick with me liz i'll do this until i die so um you know <laughs> as long try, as I'll you don't quit uh this this show will never end because i am so fucking stubborn i will not stop <laughs> anything as long as i can keep it doing it it would have to be like everything around me would crumble the no more <laughs> listeners we only have one listener it's you me. quit. I'm the listener. Yeah. If you quit and became our one listener and it was just me doing the show, then maybe He'd I'd stop the it. show. He'd still but do. probably, probably still do. Um, cool. Anyways, very exciting. <laughs> um, also, special thank to our newest Patreon uh, patron, Nicole Demensis, who's already mentioned on the show. Thank you so much for um, giving us the love. That's just fantastic. Um, Liz, you can cut this out if you want, but do you want to say that she wasn't on the show because she was? I, yeah, I had concerns. I was like, <laughs> oh, Nicole is just became a Patreon. Thank you so much, Nicole. I was so grateful. And then I was like, oh, Nicole submitted it against Shorty. Now it's going to seem like pay, pay to play, right? That you have to become a Patreon to be on the show. But also, 
I mean, first of all, Nicole's film was good, right? Her short was good. So that's it was great. Yeah. I mean, this has happened three times or maybe four <laughs> times. And and one time it happened, like we got them on the show and then they became a Patreon after they were on the show. Right. And a couple of times it's happened where they've sent things in and then they immediately become uh, a patron and then we get them on the show. Um, but I will just stress that I would not bring anybody on the show whose work I didn't like. And in Nicole's case, I was planning on, you know, getting back to her and having her on the show before she became, um, a Patreon, 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 Patreon. Yeah. So it definitely is not a correlation. I mean, so don't think that that's all it takes to get on the show because it also takes work. That's interesting. I'm glad that you have morals because honestly, I would be like, right now I'd be like, hey, here's a way to get on the show. (laughs) Pay us $10 and we'll talk about your movie and then we'll be able to edit the show. So you're upholding the ethical standard of our show, but if if it were just in... um, if it were my decision, I would just exploit the hell out of this. No, no, no. You you will not just be, if you have a short film you want to talk, you want to be featured on the show, it doesn't just take a $9 contribution in order to get on the show. That's not how it works, people. Um, I promise you, that is not the way it works. <laughs> but thank you, Nicole. We appreciate everything you Nicole's also like a, uh, well, she's like a filmmaking homie, man. She's like one of the, you know, big, time Bay Area filmmakers who are actively making movies, you know, and she does a lot for the community. She hosted this, um, you know, this online event last year during the pandemic where we had this big, it was like the filmmaker fiesta. It's like a three hour event online that I was a part of. Um, she's doing a lot to like really, you know, help and grow the community. So yeah, Nicole's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm actually really impressed with the, her output as a filmmaker. She seems to keep on making stuff. So I can't see, can't wait to see what she makes next. And I hope it's a feature. Nicole, what I have learned uh, in the last, like whatever, five years or so doing this show is that I should be making features when I was making shorts and that I shouldn't have made seven short films. (laughs) I should have made one short film just to get comfortable. And then everything else after that should have been a feature. That's what I've learned. Um, Can I I speak to that in a way that you cut it out very easily if it's not interesting? Sure. I'm taking this rewrite course and I'm like obsessed with it because I'm learning all about like the organizing idea and the shadow idea and and all these all these different terminology that I didn't know before. And I'm like reevaluating the features that I made and I'm like, wow, they could have been way more emotionally satisfying had I made sure the script was there and all these things that I didn't do because I was rushing to make the feature, mm. right? So I think there's something to be said about you'll get more traction with the feature, but it also um, will live with you for so much longer that all the mistakes you made are gonna haunt you for the rest of your life. Um, I don't think that was helpful. I'm just acknowledging that's what I'm going through right now. Well, that's interesting. Cause I mean, the shorts live with you too. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I made what strange thing in 2012 when I started making it and I released it in 2014 and that movie is online. and you know, a lot of my friends and family and, and people who know me, like that's still their favorite thing that I've done. And I've made like six other things since then. And, you know, so that one will always be a part of my background. Uh, but I guess the stakes are just so much lower, although I spent a lot of money on it, but it, it was not, you know, it wasn't, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars. It was like $20,000, you know, but still it's like still a lot of money, 
still a lot of money. That's and a I car. mean, that's a really nice car, actually. That's a good. But car. if you but if you took all my short films, like if you, if you took out Strange Thing, you took the rest of them. Um, it was probably enough to to make a feature. You know, if I had not made any of the other ones, you know. But then on the other hand, it's it's hard to say because Brother has now been adapted into a feature length script by a friend of mine that I'm like, you know, we're working on now. And that might be my second feature potentially. And so like, would that feature length script exist the way it is now if I hadn't made, made the short, you know? So maybe the short needed to exist in order for this feature version to, to get made. And now I already have a proof of concept for the feature that I made five years ago that I can use to sell the feature. I don't know. Maybe there's good, good things to shorts too. I don't know. Yeah. I think I'm just learning more and more that the script is the thing and the script is actually the most important thing. Uh, And like looking back at dad pals, that was like so clever and so enjoyable and it could have been shot with an iPhone. I wouldn't have cared. It could have been shot with like, you know, a high eight camera. I wouldn't have cared. Right. So um, that's where I'm at right now is like my obsession over structure and really making something emotionally satisfying in uh, before before you go to production i mean i took six years to write the alternate man like you know and 15 or 16 drafts or whatever it was you know and so it's just like i feel like that time was really important for me because i'm not that strong of a writer and i needed that time to get it right you know and i know other people who are better writers who can write a more fleshed out you know like satisfying movie in a lot shorter time like brother took probably a year to write you know um off and on um so i don't know i mean who knows i i I also just know that i need to write more because i think that like even if i'm not going to make that movie next or whatever like i just need to be constantly writing something in order to like keep that creative part of me going you know because it'll just help you know whatever i work on next and then also just i'll have more stuff to work on in the future um anyways uh, I think we should get to our final, final things here. Um, so, you know, you have an opportunity to be like, uh, Nicole and Gary, you could go on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast and give what you can. Thank you in advance for being able to give something if you can. And then if you want to send us a question, comment, or suggestion, you can go to podcast at making movies is hard.com. Um, and, uh, if you really, really love the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher and or any of the other places you can read review reviews for podcasts. And then if you could be like Gary Kennedy, you can go on YouTube and you can, um, leave a comment there. Um, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH podcast and YouTube at Mickey Movies is Hard podcast. And finally, thank you to Kevin Lewis and, Ke- and Greg Longstreet for making this episode possible. Uh, I'm at Liz Manichel Film on Instagram, Liz Manichel on Twitter, and I'm actually growing. I'm like 30 from 2,000 followers. So thank you to all of you. I think that actually there were a few in there from the listeners. So thank you very much for following me. And I'll follow you back. Um, Ulrich, where are you? I am Ulrich B on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Yes, go to those places to find me. Um, And finally, 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 check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com, where you can find links to the things we talked about on this episode. Thank you to editor... Alric? Uh, yes. Alric, yes. thank you to editor Alric for doing all the editing and for being an Alric. Thank you, Alric, for being Alric and for being an editor. Um, and thanks to everyone for listening and talk to all y'all next week. Hi, 
I have ser served, yes, I have served on seven feature films. Then a great representation because we're gonna have the amazing Ross Putnam, Putman. Damn it, I'm gonna do it. Okay, sorry. Boom. Um, Podcast. <laughs>